Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad to see you here on this beautiful summer morning. Let's stand as we worship our Lord together. because of you, because of what you've done, what you've given. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. 
You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my face and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to So what can I say? And what can I do?
We have a new song this morning that speaks about God's beauty and his wonder and his power. It's a unique wonder and beauty. Nothing else and nothing like anything else. And it's only a holy God. Can we? 
Spirit is with us. Holy God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer, thank you for gathering us here together at LJCC on this lovely June morning. For this time of quiet amidst a season of busyness, this moment to turn to you with our needs, our longings, our concerns about loved ones, our grief, gratitude, fears, and hopes, Thank you for letting us be here, Lord. All these feelings, chaotic in our hearts, we lay them before you in this time of prayer, trusting you to hear what we have often found hard to say. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise your name and we, and we adore you as our God, our King, and our Redeemer. Thank you for the, the gift of life, family, friends, neighbors, church, and our community. And thank you for the blessings that are new every single morning. We are facing challenging times in this world and in our country, and we recognize that there are people who are hurting and struggling with hopelessness. Lord Jesus, touch the hurting, heal the wounded, and assure us that we are not alone. You are with us, and you will continue with us always. Oh Lord, help us to be the instruments of peace, hope, and love, and help us to be sensitive to the needs of others, especially when those people and countries with fewer resources to face this pandemic or deal with the military strife or governmental struggle need help. Lord, we look to you. Nourish us, renew our strength, calm our anxieties, and help us to be still and know that you are our God who reigns forever and ever. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to bring wisdom to our world leaders. Just as Solomon asked you for a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, we pray for our nation's leaders, from Ukraine to here at home, even here at LJCC, that they might look to you for wisdom, insight, and understanding. We pray that they understand that the decisions they make will affect the masses and only through faith, hope, and love, and as your obedient children, will they be able to lead with confidence and strength. 
Guide us, O holy God, by your wonderful and beautiful spirit, that all of our prayers and all of our lives may serve your will and show your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. So um, whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether it's your first time, you've been coming a lot, you're on the patio, the Welcome Center, joining us on the live stream, or even if you're watching this on a Thursday at 7 p.m., um, welcome. We're so glad you're here uh, to worship God with us. Um, if you are here in person when you uh, came in, you should have gotten a bulletin, uh, and it, it's nifty. It folds in half and, uh, and tears apart. Um, the top half you can uh, uh, take home, give to a friend, invite them to church. Uh, on the back side, you can invite them to conversations. If you haven't been, it's a great time at 11 o'clock uh, today. It's happening, and, and most Sundays. Um, and uh, we just uh, watch a short video and then engage in a conversation, really informal Fun time um, just to kind of explore what you're thinking and, and hear from others, too. And then on the bottom half, we've got the uh, uh, prayer, uh, let us pray for you, and the connect card. So uh, we're a church that it's in our DNA to pray for one another. Um, so you can write down something that's heavy on your heart, something you're feeling really thankful for. Um, and these are held in confidence, but the prayer team does pray for them uh, every week. So it's not, you know, ignored in a basket. Um, we really do uh, pray over them. And then the uh, Get Connect side is just where you can give us your information and email address. Um, uh, if you'd like to volunteer or you're, you have a question about things we do, you're wondering about, you know, is this class ever offered, you can just write it in the, the questions and comments. And that's a w great way just to get connected. So um, thank you, and uh, let's continue worship with a message. Thank you, Drake. Wow, that, that music uh, and that, that prayer, oh my gosh. Powerful, thank you. Uh, well, so we're wrapping up a series. It's been a very short series uh, about designing your life in Christ. And we've talked about what's most important to you. Uh, if you're going to talk about designing your life in Christ, what's most important to you? And we've, we've addressed the issue, well, doesn't that sound kind of pretentious and presumptuous? I'm going to design my life in Christ. That's for wealthy people with a lot of time on their hands, right? That's for people who have nothing else pressing in on them. I talked to somebody before the service. They said, I, can't, I just don't have any room to breathe or move. I am so busy at home, at work. I, there's no relief, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so does it sound a little bit preposterous to say, you know, we're going to talk about you designing your life. I have no design for my life. It's survival. I'm holding on. I can, I'm just trying to get through each day. Uh, but we asked the question, uh, what's important to you? We've been asking the question, uh, you know, who's your community? We've been asked the question, well, who are you listening to? And today we're asking the question, how do you decide what to do? But it comes down to designing your life. And I want to unpack this a bit as we wrap this together. Because it does sound sort of an odd, like sort of an odd way of describing life, designing your life. And yet I think as we settle in to see what God's Word has to say to us, we might be moved to realize that, you know, designing our life is absolutely central to who we are in Christ that designing our life is our response to everything we just sang and heard prayed about the awesomeness and the magnificence of sovereign God before whom we bow in awe and wonder and worship and humility, uh, abandoning ourselves to, to, so that we can see His glory. And that was His glory we were singing about, not His glory earlier in that song. It's, it's, it's His glory that captivates us. 
Isaiah, uh, one of the great prophets of Israel in the temple, has this vision of God. And he realizes, I am thoroughly undone having this vision of the holiness of God. We think of holiness in our country as somebody who'd be a very bad date. You know, hey, you've got to meet her. She's so holy. Like, uh, maybe, oh, look, gee, look at the time. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Or, you know, you've got to meet this guy. He is so holy. Oh, it's going to be a long evening. What are we going to talk about? Holiness makes us alive. And so Isaiah sitting in the temple and he's overwhelmed with the holiness of God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. He's, he's part of the holy nation of Israel. And, and one of these creatures that surround the Lord in His glory takes a coal from the altar and, and touches His lips. And, and I guess that's a big picture of you're being purified. You're being called, you're being confirmed, you're being commissioned. And then he hears this voice, the voice of God saying, whom shall we send? And he says, me, send me. It's like somebody else is speaking out of his body, you know. Hineni, here I am, it's me, send me. And, and powerful, powerful, powerful picture of what it means to design your life in Christ. It simply means to make choices to align your purposes with his. You uh, are a free agent. You might not feel like it today. There's too many things controlling me, holding me back. You are a free agent. You get to say yes, you get to say no. You get to make choices. This is the power of design. Design is just another way of saying, I want to live intentionally. I control nothing, but I get to make decisions about how I will respond to everything. I love the way T.S. Eliot, uh, if you're familiar with T.S. Eliot, uh, he was a phenomenal uh, scholar. Uh, he's an American, uh, went to Harvard University, uh, moved to Great Britain to go to Oxford, and then fell in love with Great Britain, became a, a British citizen, and he became uh, a Nobel Prize winning uh, literary guy, uh, most noted for the incredible poetry he wrote to, to speak to the culture he was living in. And, and in, in one of these collections of, of poems called The Four Quartets, he, 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 he focuses on a little village called Little Gidding. Little Gidding. Sounds like something in the, someplace in the Cotswolds where Hansel and Gretel would live, you know? Uh, just one of those charming uh, Burton on Wooten near, near Barn or something. You know, all these fascinating places where hobbits inhabit. And, and he writes this poem uh, about this utopian community. Uh, and he, he's, he, was a, he was a profound follower of Jesus. Uh, he, was a, he was a Catholic uh, Christian uh, in terms of the, you know, the Church of England kind of Catholic um, and a uh, very high view of God and, and what it meant to, to, to use your gifts for God. And so in this poem, there's one of the great lines, one of my favorite lines of all time. It says this, We shall not cease from exploration. Maybe this already sounds familiar to you. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Uh, have you ever watched a movie more than once? You got so much more out of that movie the second time. Had, did you watch it at a different stage of life? It was maybe funny or poignant for different reasons. You had more wisdom watching it. Have you ever read a book more than once? Have you ever uh, changed 
in your life. If you've been married 50 years, I mean, people here who've been married 50 years, uh, they've been married to five different people probably, and not just different people, the same woman, the same man, but over ages and stages, you become different people. Who knew that you could sound just like your parents at some point in life? It's like the curse of parenthood. Oh, dear Lord, I'm sounding like my mom, like my dad. The one I vowed never to sound like, maybe, you know. Um, so this beautiful picture he's painting for us is that we have this need, a God-given sense of adventure and wonder about the world. We shall not cease from exploration. It's not just boredom and antsiness. It's that we're curious. That's a God-given uh, capacity that we have. The God of wonders. In fact, we're going to launch into a new series next week. It'll take us to the summer. Talking about the God of wonders. And, and during the, the piece that we do after the, the break, conversations, we're going to be unpacking uh, what does it look like for the God of wonders to speak to the, into the world in a way that we chart uh, through conversations about science and those kinds of things. It's very, very, it'll be a really fun series. But this God of wonders has built it into us that we want to explore. And yet the funny thing about it is that after all that exploration, we return to the place from which we started and we know it for the first time. We see it ever more clearly. And we start to make changes and accommodations because you go, oh, I don't want to miss this. I'm starting to see some things I hadn't seen before. I have some feelings I haven't felt before. It's an astute observation and it's applicable to every age, stage, phase, and season of life. In Christ we explore the world within us and around us. And it's one of the scariest things we do. We do not want to explore the world within us. It's big, it's scary, it's mysterious. It's so tempting to live superficially or to just submit to everybody else's desires for what we do. If you don't take charge of your life and, and see it from a standpoint of design, making informed decisions about what is most important to you, aligning your values and your purpose with those of God, somebody else will take charge of your life. It's super convenient to have somebody take charge of your life for about five minutes. If, you've, if, you've, if you're ever on a date if you're, if you're dating, if you're ever on a date, and when the waiter or waitress comes up and says, hey, are you ready to order? You go, yeah, yeah. And, and, you th- and you're about to order, and your date orders for you. Isn't the date pretty much over at that point? She'll have... Your... No, he, he'll have... Well, I'm going to have... The... No, no, no. He's going to have... And you're thinking, whoa, right? So if you don't take charge of your life, if you don't start making some decisions, and that's what we mean by design, Living life on purpose. And Christ has built this into us as we explore the world within us and around us. Why? Because we, he wants us to grow in wisdom and discernment. All that experience has to go somewhere. If all life is is just a bunch of experiences connected serially, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. That's a hellish life. That's what hell is like. This and that and this and that and this and that. There's no plot. Life in Christ is a plot. We become wise. We start to understand how to understand. We start to discern what is wise and good and true. And, and then the exploration becomes really fascinating. I wonder why I said that. I wonder why I did that. Uh, I, have, I can blame my folks. I can blame the circumstances. Or maybe I can say, something is going on in me. I wonder what's that that's going on in me. We grow in wisdom and discernment. Discernment is just a, another version of wisdom in terms of applying it. How do I say yes and no to the right things? 
And so the way we grow is in asking and answering questions of meaning and motive and purpose. Questions are brilliant, either for obscuring things, moving things from where they really should be focused, or they're profound for uncovering things. We don't ask enough questions, or if we do, we ask superficial questions. We don't like being asked questions because it's scary to have to maybe answer. And the question is, can I trust you if you ask me a penetrating question? But when you're in a place where you can trust the people you're having that conversation with, obviously the Lord, and then and the people that God uses in your life, you become a designer in that you're taking in data and you're saying, I wonder what God wants me to do with this. And you look in God's Word and He shows you all kinds of things you could do with it. You can't do everything with it. So what will I do with it? The worst thing we do to kids, not really, but it kind of feels like it to them, is, you know, you can do anything. It's all open to you. It's all available to you. And the kid's like, oh my gosh, the pressure. What if I make a decision? It's wrong. It's like the mule that starved to death because there were two bales of hay. The mule didn't know which one to eat from. It's overwhelming, you know. There's no greater burden than great potential, right? There's some, some joy in having somebody say, this is what you have to do. It's a very focused thing. You go, oh, I can make something out of these six blocks, these colored pens. I have to, I have to obey these laws or these rules. But when, when it's wide open, it's overwhelming. That's why people step back and say, ah, I have too much pressure to design my life. I'm just going to go with the flow. Now we'll come back to that in a little bit because I'm not talking about controlling anything. Uh, some of you heard me tell a story. I sat uh, when I, I first moved to La Jolla uh, 26 years ago, and uh, I was invited out to, to lunch by this guy who was uh, he'd been the chairman of the board of General Dynamics. He was a major American industrialist, had a real faith, and he was a super serious guy. And he said, "I, I just want to get to know you. You know, you're new pastor of church." And a bit intimidating because I'm sitting at the end of a nine foot table, practically across from this guy, just me and him, and. Um, he asked me this question. He said, hey, did you plan your life? Did you plan how you were going to be right here doing what you're doing? Kind of one of those serious, I hope you're a serious person questions. That You planned this. You were so smart. You, you orchestrated everything. So you're sitting here in La Jolla talking to me. And I thought, this is going to be a very bad lunch. So I sat there for a while thinking what I'm going to say to him. Finally I just said, you know, no. Frank, I've never planned my life. There, I've confessed it. It's over. I can go home now. You can shake your head, you know. And he was very quiet for a very long time. Finally, he said, how about you? Did you plan your life to become the god of all things general dynamics, you know? And he said, no. No, I didn't. I just approached everything that, that was in front of me with an idea of what's the best thing I should do or I could do in this circumstance? What's the most honorable thing I could do? What's the rightest thing I could do? What fits... What I've committed to do. And all of a sudden, his life became super creative. It opened up. And he said, I was in a meeting with a bunch of other American industrialists all sitting around a table, and somebody asked this question of the group. Not one person had planned their life. Now, it sounds irresponsible, but if you pressed them, you'd find out that all of them designed their life. They all had convictions and values. They understood what their motives were. Uh, they understood what the meaning of their life was, and they understood they had a purpose. 
And they committed to it at great sacrifice, sometimes suffering. They had this, they were all really members of the greatest generation too. They'd been through hell and lived to tell about it. But they'd all approached it from a design perspective. Why? Because most of them were engineers by training. A design perspective, what is that? A bias for action, prototyping, let's see what we can do with this, and then iteration, let's improve on it. And if we get to the end of the possibilities of improving it, let's jump to another platform. So it makes America great. We're going to celebrate America next weekend, right? What makes America great is it's okay to do that. It's not pretentious. It's not presumptuous. It's not you know, world domination and control. It's saying, what is the best thing I can do with what's in front of me? Powerful. And these questions then become powerful. Joshua says to the Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve. Who will you serve today? The gods on that side of the river or the God who's calling you to the holy land, the promised land he's given you? This is a 40-year postponed conversation because Joshua was part of an earlier conversation 40 years previously when sent by uh, Moses to scout out the land. He and the, young, the two youngest guys in the group come back and all the older guys are going, no, scary big guys are monsters, huge giants. Don't even think about it. And the two younger guys are saying, yeah, this is the land God promises. Let's go for it. We've already made our choice. We're going to obey God. And, and they were overruled. And so for 40 years, the people wandered aimlessly until enough of them were gone that a new generation arose. And now Joshua, the old man, saying to the new generation, what's your choice? So that's the kind of powerful question that calls out of us understandings of meaning and motive purpose. We also see questions in the scriptures like the serpent asking Adam and Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? And of course answering the questions he's asking by distorting them. Until the people lose all sense of what is my motive? What is the meaning of this conversation? What is my purpose? The same serpent, you know, uh, represented there in the garden, uh, Satan, the devil, is now going to, you know, thousands of years later, uh, is now tempting Jesus. After 40 days in the desert fasting, Jesus is confronted by the enemy, the devil. And, and the devil basically says, hey, if you're so awesome, turn stones to bread. Leap off this tower, God will catch you if he really loves you. Turn to me and I'll give you power and prestige. These are couched as questions and statements. Of course, they're, they're designed uh, to destroy and to deceive, not to, not to confirm uh, God's plan. It's funky design. It's inviting people to distort the design and muck up any potential for the beauty uh, that represents the wonder that God has put in us. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Big question, who do you say I am? So how are we answering the questions that deliver us and those that deceive us? What is our basis for doing this? If it's just how I feel, what's in it for me, I'm usually going to go with the path of least resistance. The road to hell is slightly downward, and, and softly padded. You never quite know where you're going. 
the road that God invites us to walk with Him on is scary because it's bigger than anything we can handle. I said last week, God will always give you more than you can handle. It's bad theology to say God will never give you more than you can handle. Why does He give us more than we can handle? To crush us? No, to strengthen us. To show that His power is sufficient in us. To rally all of our forces. So the Apostle Paul, right into the Colossians, Colossians 1, 130, that first chapter, he says, I struggle with all His energy that works so powerfully within me. As I make decisions, as I live a life by design, not just happenstance, randomly. So as we choose to live by design our life in Christ, how do we decide what to do? This is the big question. Very big question. So we take our cue from Jesus. Matthew uh, 7, verses 7 to 8. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. This is a design sensibility. A bias for action, prototyping, and iterating. Why? Because something important hangs in the balance. Now what's the context for this passage out of Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount? It's all about prayer, of all things. He's talking about prayer. This passage is Jesus talking about prayer as an ongoing conversation with the living God, who has designed all creation so that we can be designers within creation. We're managers of creation. So we have a design sensibility. Why? Because we are are designed by God with that inherent to us. That's why we all like order. Even if we like to to break up the order of things, to do some things that are interesting. You know, if you're really good at something, then you can riff on it and do all kinds of unusual things. You have to be a pretty good musician to make jazz convincing. You gotta be a pretty good comedian to make improv work. But what does a great comedian do with improv? They just listen, and they listen to what they just heard, and then they riff on that. But there's an inherent internal logic to it. This is how God has created us, with that inherent internal logic of being able to be in relationship with Him. And so designing your life in Christ is a spiritual discipline. I bet you've never thought of it that way before. Designing your life is a spiritual discipline. It's paying attention to what God is doing in you. I could do a lot of things. I wonder what God particularly is calling me to do. What is He equipping me to do? And the meaning we put on that can be a head fake sometimes. If somebody said, my highest goal is to work in in a convalescent hospital and care for people at the end of their life. If you're talking to a young person who said, that's my great goal, you might be tempted to say, hey, hey, there might be other things you should consider doing. And miss the meaning and the purpose of that. Because we tend to go to the biggest, best, grandiosity of it's really God, it's going to be awesome. How about if it's really God, we take a a bowl of water and a towel and start washing feet? I was talking about God's will for your life one time and what it means to do the work of God. And, And after this sermon, a guy walks up to me and he said, hey man, I can completely resonate with what you're saying today. You just described my life. And he was all excited. He goes, and there's a zillion people waiting to say hi to me. And he says, i got to tell you what this means to me. 
And I realized he's a very simple guy, very intense. I said, sure, okay. He said, so all those students at San Diego State, they're super busy and super stressed. Well, I, what I do in the cafeteria is I make sure the tables are really clean. I clear all the stuff away. So when they sit down, it's a really great place for them. And, I, and he's telling me, this, and my, I'm feeling my throat tightening up. I'm feeling my eyes filling up with water. I'm thinking, I can't, I can't even think of saying anything right now. I'll start crying in front of this guy. And I'm just listening to him. I said, that, that's awesome. I said, you definitely understood that service. And I could see people, very busy, very important people, kind of like waiting behind this guy. And I'm just thinking, you got all the time in the world, buddy. I just want to stand in your presence. I'm standing in the presence of God. Not because he's doing something lowly, because he's doing something real by design. It calls out God's best in him. And he's so happy about it, so excited about it. He's doing it with a servant's heart. And people are being blessed and God has been glorified. I'm thinking, hey, if everybody's doing whatever they're doing, lined up behind this guy with the same perspective, bring it on. I'm a zillion dollar in you know, this. I'm um, very successful at that. It's okay. Why are you that? What's your motive? What's your purpose? What's the meaning of that for you? I litigate big cases because people are being mistreated and I want to make sure they get their fair day in court. Oh. I teach children because I want them to learn how to read and then navigate their way. Oh, I, I, people come to me and they're disfigured because of accidents and I want to put them back together again with this plastic surgery. Whoa. Okay, so you see where this goes? It goes anywhere that God leads you to go. So designing your life in Christ is a spiritual discipline rooted and grounded and supported in prayer and engagement with the holy living God. And so prayer is simply living into and out of a life-changing transformational relationship with God. Instructed by His Word, supported by His people. Empowered by His Holy Spirit. For anybody and everybody at any age or stage of life, doing any magnificent thing or any very simple thing, modest thing, it all is the same thing when it comes to designing your life. Is this what God is doing in me? Is this what God is calling me to We do this because God is good and dependable even in a world corrupted by sin. Even in me, corrupted by sin, I have the capacity by God's grace to design my life, to honor and glorify Him, and bless people in His name. I do it imperfectly. It's a series of (laughs) starts and stops, (laughs) tangents. It's embarrassing being me. Maybe it's embarrassing being you. I don't know. I'm guessing it might be. But the fact is, this is what God has chosen to do, to redeem us. God loves it when we ask and seek and knock. God responds when we ask, when we seek, when we knock. Human fathers get fatigued, but our Heavenly Father doesn't. I love it how in Webster's Dictionary, the word that follows father is fatigue. The word that precedes father is fathead. You look it up. Look at in Webster's dictionary, it'll say fathead, it'll say father, it'll say fatigue. They all go together. But our, our Heavenly Father does not get bummed out, worn out, or big headed when we say, Papa, Father, I, I have a need. We ask, we seek, we knock. So this is what Jesus is saying. Start here. You want to design your life? Start here. And so he builds on this. He says, in Matthew 7, which of you, 9 to 11, which of you, if your son asks for bread, if your daughter asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, you are imperfect, you've got mixed motives, you got all kinds of agendas. You got all kinds of all kinds of unexpressed expectations. You don't even know about them half the time. Even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, it's a good gift to design your life. If this is inherent to us, we we all aspire to some kind of a life that makes sense. Every little kid will tell you all the crazy, wonderful things they want to do. Our four-year-old grandson at this point knows with no lack of certainty or conviction that his life is about running an excavator someday or driving a garbage truck. Because if the garbage truck comes by, he runs to see it. If there's an excavator driving along from his little car seat, an excavator! Or he'll call out all the different heavy equipment. I don't know what it'll be next year. Maybe it'll be, hey, look at that. You know, but right now, that's the thing that matters most. And you can't help but get excited about it when you see it through his eyes. Our Father wants to give much more than even we want for ourselves or for those we love. And it's all good. That's what Jesus tells us. And it starts in a conversation with him, in a deep relationship of trust with him. And from there, we keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. And so asking, seeking, and knocking is doing the work that needs doing. Again, it's a design mindset. Asking expresses curiosity, humility, vulnerability. Hey, I don't know. I'm just wondering, how does this work? What's going on here? Or how do I get that done? How do I fix this? Seeking is the disciplined pursuit of answers and solutions. It's being resourceful and resilient. I know. I'm going to call so-and-so. They'll fix it. You have a list of people that you call when certain things need fixing because you know this is the guy. This is the woman who's going to know how, what to do and how to do it. Other things you say, no, I could do that. And you go on YouTube or wherever and you figure it out, right? But seeking is the disciplined pursuit of answers and solutions. It's being resourceful and resilient. And then knocking is simply committing to follow through until we reach our goal. It's persistence and perseverance. It's okay to ask for help. In fact, it's really not okay not to ask for help. It's okay to get frustrated. It's not okay to stop knocking and seeking. The young junior executive and the older executive says, so how did it go? I made a hundred calls. Wow, awesome. How many sales did you make? Well, did I mention I made a hundred calls? Right, did you make any sales? We're in the selling business, not just the calling business. Well, no, I didn't. But I'm taking the weekend off because I made a hundred calls. No, I think you need to work all the way through the weekend until you make one sale. You see the perspective here? It's persistence and perseverance toward that goal. So it's exploration that begets understanding and action. We learn things, we try things, we start with God, asking, seeking, knocking, and we continue doing this throughout life. Lord, what do you what do you see here? I'm, this is what I'm saying. I feel completely outmatched and overwhelmed. And you sure this is what you want me to be doing? And as we think about it, I think, I know who I can ask for help. I know who I can call. And all of a sudden, your, your network becomes so big that you can do in 10 seconds or one hour what it took you weeks before to do. But see, this is part of the resourcefulness of asking, seeking, and knocking. It's the same pattern. It just gets bigger and more complicated, but it's the same thing. And then we include people by asking for guidance, 
seeking answers and help, knocking on doors. The synonyms for this, the modern synonyms, the secular synonyms are networking, connecting, partnering, coaching, mentoring, interviewing. They're fine. I use those. If you say, I'm not designing my life, I'm connecting my life. I don't care what term you use, but if it's a design sensibility. Because the alternative to asking, seeking, knocking is assuming, whining, and blaming. That's not a good alternative. So living by design isn't pretending you control anything. It's, it's how you manage in a world that you can't control. You have a choice, even if you have, don't have control. You can choose this day whom you will serve. Yeah, but if I, if I choose the Lord, it might cost me something. Of course it will. But if you don't choose the Lord, it will cost you something. So it's about living the life you were designed for, drawing on God's resources and supportive community. Let me, let me just wrap this up by saying this. There's some catalysts for designing your life. Some, some things that, that click and are, are become endemic and essential uh, in, in designing your life. Uh, five things. Life-changing truth is one of them. Those aha moments. Vision-shaping content that opens your mind and heart to God and people. You read something in the scripture, you go, oh my gosh, that changes everything. Life-changing truth. Somebody tells you something that's hard to hear, but it's true. Oh, the prophet Nathan says to David, you are that man. But it's life-changing. It's good. Life-changing truth is a catalyst. Uh, Spiritual disciplines and skills, things that we do to grow spiritually that then we, we apply to the rest of life. Learning how to read the Word of God, learning how to pray, learning how to worship, learning how to serve. Learning, learning how to order our life around God's purposes. Uh, these are tools and skills that help us connect with God and people. They make us better. Anybody who is going to do well in whatever they do, if they're, if they're spending the time to, to understand what it means to be spiritually mature, it's going to improve whatever they do. How about personal ministry? This might sound like, what? what's personal ministry? It's about you using what God has entrusted to you to honor God and bless people. It's catalytic for designing your life. You get in the game. You say, Lord, what can I do to serve, to help, to bless people in your name? What is my ministry? Maybe it's a ministry of listening. Maybe it's a ministry of building stuff and caring for people. There's all kinds of important ministries, but unless you do something, you'll never quite know what you can do, what you should do. Another catalyst are significant relationships. Again, coaches, mentors, guides, the personal influence that people have in you and that you have in people. These are all catalytic for your spiritual growth and designing your life in Christ. And then finally, pivotal circumstances. Opportunities, good and bad, that require you to grow up and develop. Pivotal circumstances. Some of the worst things in your life set you up for some of the best things in your life. Uh, I think I mentioned to some of you, I I at one point was part of a divorce recovery ministry. We had 14,000 people go through this thing up in Orange County. 14,000 people. It was a pivotal circumstance that was horrible. Often essential, or you have nothing to do with it. Somebody decides to get divorced in California, you have a six-month speed bump and it's done. So for most people it's like, I didn't plan on doing this. But it became a way for God to break into their life and say, hey, Let's talk about who you are and what you can be. It was transformational for people. They would never wish that on anybody, but it became a pivotal circumstance that disrupted everything long enough for them to say, okay, now what? Maybe it was the the diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe it was failing at something. 
I wish I had time to tell you about all the amazing things that have happened in history because somebody failed at something and then recovered and went on to succeed at something. Opportunities, good and bad, that require us to grow and develop. So these are all uh, catalysts for designing your life in Christ. But right now, I want to invite Scott Schimmel to come up, and we're going to have a little conversation for a few minutes, and then we're going to set you up for a longer conversation we're going to have after a break. Uh, we're going to invite you to go out and get something to eat and come back. So Scott, we're, going to, sit, we'll we're going to sit right here. Stools? So we'll sit, no, we'll sit down here. Okay. That's easier. Um, Different so, stool, same stool? Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, Scott Schimmel. <laughs> So, Scott, thank you for being with us today. You know, we haven't actually seen, I don't know if you realize this, we talk all the time. I haven't seen you in like three years. Yeah. <laughs> in real life. When I look at you, I see me. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how bad my right. eyesight is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so, so the neat thing about Scott is that he's married to Carrie. No, um, in, in, in addition to that, uh, Scott was on InterVarsity staff for 10 years and then uh, for the longest time has been running a thing called the U School. And the youth school is simply uh, a way of asking questions that help people design their life. And it started from a guy named Sean Parr taking some high school kids from this church on a 10-week experience of asking questions about their life. And it was so transformational. He did a a 10-week version of it at Hoover High in the the hood. And it was transformational there. And, And he just basically took the questions he was asking international executives and all these massive companies that I won't name, how, about them, and it would, it would prompt them to then think about their leadership of these world-changing companies. I thought, hey, how about if we ask high school kids this? And so U-School kind of took on a life of its own. Taco Bell gave them a million bucks to develop it further. It went on and has a life of its own. So U-School, uh, Scott is the chief guide of U-School. Uh, he's been on our staff as well, and he's just a phenomenal brother in Christ. He preached uh, two weeks ago. If you are here, you heard him. And so, Scott, this whole idea of designing your life, what have you learned about that? So I was sitting there taking notes, remembering stories of people that I've had conversations with, which is really what I do is I have conversations with people professionally about their lives and what they're doing. Uh, Joey was one that came to mind. Joey is this kid who's a college student, texted me one day in a panic. We have to meet. And I, so went over, met him for coffee. I said, what's the problem? What's the crisis? I'm imagining girl trouble. I don't know. And he says, I've, I've got this major problem. I applied to two separate programs this summer. One to go serve in Malawi, one to go serve in South Africa. And I said, what's the problem? He's like, I got into both. I said, what's the problem? He said, I don't know what to do. And as we unpacked for about 20 minutes, he was telling me the pros and cons of each program. And and I found myself after about three minutes completely disengaged in the conversation. I could care less what he did. And at some point I said, Joey, let me just stop you. Do you think God cares which one you choose? And he looked at me with, uh, like, deers in the headlight. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you mean, what is, does God care about what I do? I said, do you, so you told me you, if you go to Malawi, you're going to serve kids, and you are going to pray and go closer to God. And then if you go to South Africa, you're going to serve kids, and you're going to grow closer to God, and you're going to pray. I said, yeah. He said, so, I said, so what's the problem? And I've realized there's people like Joey who sometimes get worried about doing the wrong thing, and it leads to paralysis. And then I thought of Jenny. Jenny is another student that I used to work with at USD. And Jenny came to me one day and she said, I've figured it out. 
I said, what? She said, I figured out what I'm going to do for the next five years. And I just started laughing. Because <laughs> at that point, I had known really hundreds and hundreds of college students who had plans, and those plans never happened. And so she could tell that I was laughing, and she was offended. She's like, why are you laughing? I said, no, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> What's your plan? <laughs> What's your five-year plan? And then she started to tell me month by month of what she was going to do in the grad program, then go travel, and then she's going to meet a boy, and then she's going to get married. And I just, at the end, I said, okay, that sounds awesome. And then she's like, why are you laughing? I said, because you're like many people who assume that life is up to you. Uh, Joey struggled with desire. What do you want? Which is a question we often get in the scriptures. Jesus asking, what do you want? And Joey's like, I don't know what I want. Why does that matter? Jenny, on the other hand, said, I know it's all about what I want, and I'm going to tell God. She struggled with surrender. And those those two dynamics... Desire and surrender seem to be really important, and they're almost intention all the time. The last quick story, Josh, they're not just all J's, they're real names. Josh was, Joey, Jenny, and Josh. Josh was a roommate of mine in college, and uh, uh, even a year after college, before I got married, and I remember we, all of us friends, having conversations about what are we going to do with our lives post-college. And we would ask him, I can't, you know, dozens and dozens of times, what are your plans? What are you going to do? And he kept saying, I don't know. And then ultimately he started to say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't matter. And he had this very fatalistic, he's not that way now, but during that year and that transition, in hindsight, without any sort of therapeutic lens, I probably would have said he was in some version of depression, uh, dealing with the transition of childhood to adulthood. And he felt so overwhelmed by that, it turned into disengagement. And I've seen a lot more people in my life who are like him, who get stuck in that sort of, it doesn't matter. Uh, life's going to happen. So you're supposed to go into business, go into business. You're supposed to be a teacher, be a teacher. You're supposed to get married, have kids, just get married, have kids. And there's a disengagement and a passivity. And unfortunately, a lot of those folks tend to start blaming God for their life not being more exciting or engaging, or they're not being used, and, and this whole thing becomes kind of disillusioned. And so I, I wonder if you might find yourself on one of those three stories, uh, or at least part of the spectrum in there. So perfectionism. Yeah. Uh, don't want to get the wrong thing. Uh, the pressure to live up to somebody's expectation. Right. It's got to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because we raised you to be awesome. Yes. Don't let us down. Yeah. Uh, or just life stage. I've, I've lived too long, and there's too many people depending on me. If I don't get this right, or if I start designing my life and I have to answer questions that don't go the way I think I'm supposed to answer them, right. that can be super embarrassing. Or if somebody asks me and I don't know the answer, yeah. that's even worse, right? Yeah. I don't like being vulnerable. And, and yeah. So you worked, uh, you've been working for a long time now uh, as a core piece in youth school. Uh, you're doing schools and education, yep. but you have been working also for the last eight years, ten years, yeah. with Navy SEALs. Right. People transitioning out of the teens, mm-hmm. some of the most capable people on the planet, yep. will do anything for the mission. Yep. Uh, and all, Some of them started as uh, enlisted men, some came out of the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. And as you guys know, you two guys there, you, you know that the Naval Academy produces perfect people, but the other guys <laughs> don't quite know always what to do. And so... They've, they've honed this incredible, incredible standard of yeah. performance, and now they're going to transition out, and they haven't been making decisions about a lot of things right. because they're so focused. Yeah. What was it like helping them design their life? Terrifying at first. Uh, one guy told me I could end you in 19 different ways. <laughs> <laughs> because, Why was he feeling that? Because the, 
the approach that I've found, whether you're more on the I'm going to do this right and I'm going to drive this or I don't know, it's all up to the wind, uh, there's an element of vulnerability on both sides of that. You have to be willing to wrestle with some of those questions. And the questions happen to uh, prompt feeling threatened because all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, if it's about what I want, what if, what if I don't know or what if I choose the wrong thing? That's threatening, that's vulnerable. Or if it's what I'm supposed to do and I get that wrong, that's also scary. So this guy was uh, frustrated that I was making him feel vulnerable because he hadn't, I don't think he had felt that way in quite a while. He knew what to do, how to do it, and, and, and he would work himself out of a jam. But designing your life, there's no right answer. And all the people I've ever known, I'd be curious for you, who've done full-time ministry with their lives, I know one person who would say, God told me to do this. Like she had some voice of heaven breakthrough. And I, I remember hearing her tell that story. I'm like, you're so lucky. The rest of us have to just kind of wonder and hope, hey, I hope I'm not doing this wrong. <laughs> uh, I hope I get the wrong, didn't get the wrong mission. Uh, she's the only one I know who felt really certain this is what God wants me to do. I just kind of figured out that I think this is not bad and that I could serve God through this. So looking at his life and the, and the seals, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes into you choosing and, uh, and, and the, the danger of not doing it right. Yeah, so if God created us to be in this mode all of our life, there's no expiration date when you stop having a sense of wonder yeah. or a sense of panic, oh, now what? Yeah. I've never been this age or stage before. Right. All my skills are sort of irrelevant or, or they're diluted. There's other yeah. factors. You know. What happens when a person leans in, does the work, mm-hmm. and gets the other side of that? It could take weeks, it could take days, it could take months, it could take years. Yeah. Yeah. There's progress usually along that. What happens right. when they start making that progress or get to the other side of it? What's it like for them? It seems like there's a lot more clarity and confidence, which I think are the two, the two things I, I think I want, I think we all want in our lives. I want to be clear, and I want to be confident. You know, why are you doing what you're doing? To have an answer to that question actually brings a lot of clarity and a lot of confidence. It's what I want for the team, guys. It's what I want for students. It's what I want for my kids. I don't want my kids, if you think of your, some of you as parents or grandparents, wondering, is this right? I want them to actually say, no, I, I believe this is right, at least for now. So having clarity and confidence has a way of organizing a lot in your life. Even what do you do post-work hours? Even when you're feeling maybe unsettled about something, you can return to that clarity and confidence. So I, I look at it as almost like jumps on the board, the game of life. If we can just get you to the next leap, the next big transition with clarity and confidence, that's going to be amazing. But at some point, obviously, things change. You mentioned pivotal circumstances, big life transitions. Your kids move out of the house. Those are, those are moments where you realize what was clear and confident for that season, I can't carry with me. And so it's now time to do that work again, to figure out what some of these answers are to these big questions. So one of the things that I think we've seen is that the things that are continuous are things that are internal to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit carries through all the ages and stages. Everything else is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. We're not prepared. We'd like to think we're prepared. Um, but uh, that, that, let, me, let me rephrase that. We'd like to have a plan. But the best thing we can do is to learn how to be prepared. And that is to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. 
When you're through learning, you're through. And it doesn't matter if you're 70 years old, you go, oh, I've arrived, sorry. Uh-uh. There's going to be new things, new tasks, new challenges. You go, whoa, 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 where did this come from? And so the idea as a little kid is that once they get to, once they get way older, like 12, 13, it's all going to sort itself out. And then you get there and it's more intense. Well, once I'm 18 and out of the house, it'll be thumbs up. Uh, no, it's scarier. And it goes like that forever. Every parent, if they're honest, would say, I, they sent me home from the hospital. I had no idea what I was going to do as a kid. A woman was weeping in my office one time saying, it's just so overwhelming. Nobody prepares you for this. And I said, wow, what do you do? She goes, well, I'm a pediatrician. I said, you're a new mom and you're a pediatrician mm. and nobody <laughs> prepped you for this. She goes, yeah. I said, welcome to the club. This is how everybody feels, right? Yeah. So in terms of designing your life, are there any, any things yeah. that you've noticed that, that seem to be consistent with people who are willing to lean into that no matter what age or stage? Yeah, it's the uh, willingness to engage in those questions. It's, it's the reflection. Back to Joey and Jenny. Joey's question is, what do you want? Well, that's a reflection question. And at least for me, the way I figure out what I want is part, I, I do a lot of writing. I just, I actually have to write out my thoughts. I don't know if it's deficiency or just who I am, but also really helps for me to talk it out loud. And I'm not a big extrovert. As, nevertheless, talking out my thoughts with someone else really is helpful, and just as much to hear a friend of mine answer the same questions for themselves. I find myself borrowing from their vocabulary what makes sense for me, and, and, and especially for my closest friends, I'll say, oh my gosh, that is the opposite of what I think, but it helps me understand my thoughts. Uh, the other part of that is looking at what God wants. So Jenny, uh, actually reflect on what do you think God wants for your life? I mean, not your five-year plan, but what might God say about your life? It's the same work. It's looking at the scriptures then and trying to, with the lens of questions, God, who are you? What are you saying? What are you doing in this world? And it happens for me that I learn more from you than I do in my own scripture readings. I, I learn more from listening to other people talk about their perspective on scripture and who God is than I do in just sitting there by myself. So those are the same things. Uh, questions, thinking, and talking are the core competencies, I think, of doing this well. Yeah, and that process builds community. Yeah. And, and God works through community. He works in people in community. So we're gonna, uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give a benediction. We're going to go get something to eat, and we want to invite you to come back here. We're going to spend 45 minutes back here doing a thing called Conversations at, at uh, what time would that be? Uh, 10, 9.30, 10.30, 11 at 11 o'clock, so 11 to 11.40-ish, we're going to answer two, we're going to ask two questions. So Scott and I are going to discuss for like a few minutes a question, and then you're going to get 10 minutes to, to get into groups and talk about it. It will not embarrass you, it won't put you on the spot, it'll energize you. I can guarantee that at the end of this process, not because of what we've said, but because what happens in a community reflecting together, you're going to walk out of here energized with some clarity about some things that you didn't know you had you needed clarity on. So uh, we're going to ask two questions and have some discussion about those questions following a break where you get something to eat. If we can pray for you, uh, there's a beautiful little prayer garden out and just around the corner and there's some people who will be willing to have a prayer with you. Some delicious food, grab some of that. And then at 11 o'clock the band's going to be playing a song. Come on back and we'll be very efficient with our time. It's going to be really fun to, to continue this conversation about designing your life. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, this is your idea. And this is your gift to us. And that <clears throat> somehow this has gotten lost 
along the way in the life of your church. The idea that we are saved uh, to, for purpose and for meaning uh, and to find a way to express who we are in you. It not only lights us up, uh, but lights up the world and reflects your glory and, and blesses people in the process. So I pray for each person here that you'd be speaking into their life wherever they are, in the successes they're enjoying, in the, in the tragedies and the travails that they're laboring under, in, in the moments of uncertainty that are plaguing them, and also in the moments of, of, of real clarity that are sustaining them. So in all that, Lord, I pray that you'd bring us together for a conversation that makes a difference. Uh, we, we pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Get some prayer if you need it, want it, uh, get something to eat, and then come back and be here at 11. Here's some music. We're going to have a really fun conversation. Thank you, Scott.